Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast. ESPN and Anscape contributor Dominique Foxworth's podcast is every Tuesday and Thursday, bringing you his unique perspectives on football, the personalities that surround it, and just about anything else he finds interesting. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? Nothing. Happy to be here. Appreciate you and Adi and Parker. Uh Making it work for me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> hey, man, we all running crazy. We all doing all these different jobs, everything else. I can't imagine. Like, do you use a calendar now? Yeah, I do. It was so it was a, a just a death in the family just caused mm-hmm. everything to turn upside down. And so um, I was laughing with Adi before we started about my wife is a wartime general. Mm-hmm. And it's like. If you've met her, which you have, you spend enough time around her, like, you don't think of her as that type of person. Like, she's kind of bubbly and, like... Oh, no, no, but, no, 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 no. I yeah, saw you, what you yeah, were so, saying. Yeah, yeah you, so when... It's funny because, like, when things... When there's chaos or crisis, like, she snaps into it. It's like, this is what she's been waiting for. And so then when something happens... She's the one who's like taking care of all the responsibilities and telling everybody else what they have to do. So I got my marching orders for this morning, which included taking care of other people's kids, picking up stuff, going here, going there. And I started executing my marching orders. Then you text me like, you good? <laughs> it was like, oh, shit. My bad. We're, we're in a war right now, man. The general told me to take care of business. No, but let me tell you this. I knew immediately when I didn't hear nothing back, I was like, Oh, something's going on. Yeah. Like it, it, it wasn't one of those like we think Dominique like laid up on the in the penthouse suite at a hotel, right? We were like, oh, I hope Dominique's cool. But yeah, no, I, I have I have people that I work with and friends where uh, when I don't hear from them, I'm concerned for different reasons. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. No, I was like, no, something has arisen, but it's all good. Uh, we are here, and Aaron Rodgers came up out the dark, big dog. What you think about that? Man, I read the article in ESPN this morning about it, and it, like, I find the Aaron Rodgers retreat interesting. And on, on my own podcast, I had done a little bit of personal exploration about my desire to cape for Kyrie, and I had to like be become honest or be honest with myself about what part of it is. It's just a bias that I have towards athletes, and also like a bias I have towards people who I believe to be curious. And Aaron and Kyrie, I think, both fall in that category. Not to uh, to equate similar things to what they've done or not to defend or protect anybody for that. But the more Aaron Rodgers goes off the deep end, I also had to, like, confront the fact that I got a little bit of a, uh, not, well, not, this is not hidden. I am pro player. And I'm going to try my best to defend a player. And the last thing is I got a contrarian streak. And when everybody start piling up on one side, there's something in me that's like, you better go to that other side. <laughs> so when everybody is like, Aaron Rodgers is a loon. Aaron Rodgers is a nut. Like, I found myself, despite the fact that I got, I went off on Aaron a while ago for the um the vaccine thing, because I appreciate him lying to people, but that's a whole different conversation. Like, I find myself on his side when 
it's him against management. You definitely gonna get me on your side if you're a player. And also, when is him talking about like exploring the things that are gonna find bring him fulfillment in his life? And if if you've never like had this thought process or tried to explore some things in life to like find out more about yourself or more about the world around you, then something's wrong with you. Maybe Aaron, maybe you don't want Aaron Rodgers sharing it and you want him to keep it to himself, but something's wrong with you. And if you found this fulfillment and you try to explain it to people, I guarantee you there are people in this world that are going to think that stuff that you are saying is nutty. Can you imagine trying to explain Christianity to somebody who's never heard it before? Like, that should sound crazy, but it's acceptable. So, like, that's my point. And listening, reading the, the article talked a lot about, like, what it's meant to do. And that ain't shit but meditation. It's like aggressive meditation is what it is. And if he would have just said, I'm going to go off and meditate, people would have had less fun with it. But honestly, it feels like most people come around because like he ain't hurting nobody. Nah, Man, he, just want to sit alone. He just sound like a jerk. Like, that's the whole problem. He <laughs> talked to us like he's smarter than us. And, yeah. you know, people don't like that. That there's, there's that. I have to say, I gave the darkness retreat thing some thought. And I did have to admit, it sounded kind of intriguing. Yeah. As I gave it a bit more consideration, I mean... It sounds incredibly boring, right? But I do guess that, like, once you settle in and recognize this is what it's about to be for the next four days, yeah. like, maybe you write. And I guess I don't spend that much of my free time wrestling with that much stuff. Like, right. I got some things that I kind of bounce around, but, like, the wrestle part is hard for me to relate to. This was my only thing about the darkness retreat, man. I got to be honest with y'all. I once signed up for a darkness retreat. I ain't do it on purpose, but I did. Um, I had, I was living in California and I had left for um, a couple of weeks for a holiday and I came back and I got to my apartment and I opened the door <laughs> and it was a little chilly. And I was like, huh? It was real quiet. And I was like, huh? And my man was driving me off. And I was like, hey, hold on one second. And I closed my eyes. And I hit the light switch. And I opened my eyes. And it looked just like it did before I closed my eyes. And yeah. Um, people take darkness retreats all the time. You miss that they, final notice. Yeah, until they get that money up to get their <laughs> lights turned back on. That's, that's when your darkness retreat is. I walked in there and I was like... Oh, they my man. Like, oh, hey, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing quite like, like, your when your power has been disconnected, but you don't realize it yet, right? Like, you realize it pretty quickly if it happens at night. But one day, I was sitting at the crib. It was the afternoon, and all of a sudden, like, I didn't have any lights on. I didn't have anything running, right? Like, I was just in there, and. I noticed I couldn't get on the wireless. And I was like, huh, that's strange. And then I was like, I don't hear anything running at all in my home. What's that all about? Oh, sorry. I forgot to send you guys some money. Okay, <laughs> I got you. I got you right there. Like, like I, I want to know how many people have had to do that darkness retreat and came out of it like, 
man, I really had an opportunity to go through some things and figure some stuff out. All they was trying to figure out is, man, where am I going to get this $75 from to get these lights back on? Yeah, that's a whole different um, exploration. It's, you're searching for something. <laughs> In the darkest retreat that Aaron's going through, you don't know what you're searching for, but you know exactly what the hell you're looking for. In those urban darkness retreats, I'm looking for cash. Let me find some money so that I can get these things cut back on. I need my Wi-Fi. Yo, because the other thing, too, man, they cut that power off. You better get that power back on fast. Otherwise, you're going to have a whole new grocery bill. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's a, it's, it's a lot that could go wrong for you when you ain't got that power off. The, you got cable pitch, running man. that you can't even do nothing with. You just set money on fire. That's the pits, man, when your whole <laughs> fridge and freezer defrost. And you got to, uh, yeah, that's happened to me before recently where it, it wasn't because the darkest retreat is because I got kids and they don't always close things all the way. And somebody want to get a late night snack, then the next morning the whole floor wet and everything defrosted and we just cooking. You know, we cooking everything. We cooking everything. It's going to last longer. You can't, you can't um, refreeze these things. So we cooking, we calling family, everything getting cooked and eaten in the next couple of days. But the thing that's getting me with Aaron Rodgers is the Packers seemingly putting the word out that they are tired of it. Yeah, I, yeah they are. I could understand being tired of it, but. What they going to do? Yeah, that's my thing. Like, I got into it with Tannenbaum a couple times on Get Up recently where he was like, if I was in charge, I would tell him I need to know by this date. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it with your artificial deadlines. Like, Aaron is too good. It has, and you owe him too much money for y'all to be acting like this. And the other thing is like, I guess you shouldn't be able to say this. Actually, no, you should. You knew what it was when he signed up. You've been dealing with Aaron. He ain't changed. If anything, he's gotten better. You knew what it was when you signed up. So if I, I find it curious that, and, and I mean, it's fine. Explore trade options. There's nothing wrong with that. But like the, the general feeling of like discontent around him is odd to me and like i understand what they've done from a roster management standpoint like i have no qualms with the way they've built this team around him they've been championship contenders recently several times so like i'm not upset at them for that it's not like a lebron first seven years situation that's not the problem they've done a great job they made one mistake is they drafted aaron Rodgers before they got rid of um brett Favre, and it worked out and they was like we gonna do that again and they did that, and that freed Aaron up to be complete Aaron Rodgers. And it, it turned him into a great player. I don't know if it's directly correlated, but it's sure ain't a coincidence that he won back-to-back MVPs. Yeah, we don't, we don't talk like, about that part enough. Yeah, he he yeah. so y'all, you it worked. <laughs> Whatever you was doing, it worked. You got back-to-back MVP season from a quarterback, and you didn't win a Super Bowl. That stinks. But now it just seems to me like it's okay to trade him. It's okay to be tired of them but i'm not gonna have any sympathy for you not now i mean look man that that 60 is guaranteed dog mm. like y'all had to sign up and get like this is the most player empowerment in nfl history if you want to keep it real right i'm gonna go take a darkness retreat and decide if i want 60 million dollars or not no one man should have all that power. Like, that's that's where it stands. And apparently they feel good about Jordan Love, but they, yeah. I mean, they're done. And honestly, in a football sense, they always try to sell high, and quarterbacks yeah. typically throw that off because quarterbacks are so scarce. 
But if you feel like you got a halfway decent option that's behind him and you tired of his nonsense, then you let it go. I'm hearing people talk about him coming to the Jets. And look, if all you need out of him is one good year, that might work. I don't know if I'm giving up two, three first round picks or whatever the price is going to be in order to get him. Like that's that's my dilemma when I look at that. But I hope Aaron Rodgers knows this. You can do the same stuff you was doing in Green Bay in New York. Like you can. You're allowed. Mm-hmm. But uh, ain't nobody going to be playing along. Yeah, it's different. You also don't have the goodwill built up here well, with these people. You'll also be playing for what is perceived as the clown show team. Yeah. Like the Giants ain't got no room to say nothing about the Jets over the last 10 years or so, right? Like, let's be right. clear about that. But in terms of the way, like when something goes bad for the Jets, it's there go the Jets again. That's not the way that it's looked at with the Giants, right? It's the same way with the Yankees and the Mets. So if you come in here and you talking that craziness and y'all ain't really getting it done with a roster, by the way, that we all believe is a quarterback away. Right. We'll find out. I think Garrett Wilson would be fun to watch Woo! with a quarterback because that, that guy is as cold as anybody in the Hold league. On. And they got running backs. Yeah. I mean, when he gets healthy, Brees is the truth. Yeah. I mean, they got running backs, but that one is special. Um, And the defense obviously is very good. The The thing about the draft picks is I'm with you. It's like, I don't know. I'm of two minds where it's like, if you can go in and win a championship, then you go after that championship because they may never be this close again. So forget those picks. Uh, from one perspective, the, the Rams F them picks model. Mm-hmm. But I also recognize that football, you need your first round picks to pl- to like play and your second round picks and occasionally your third round picks. This ain't basketball where you can go decades without land. Well, maybe not decades, but you can go a long stretch without landing a contributor in the first round and still be okay. You can't really do that in football. Um, in part because of the way salaries are structured. You're just going to have to hit on some picks, and it's going to make it real hard if the only place you can hit is uh, – or it gets harder with the only place you can hit is second, third, fourth, fifth round. That makes it difficult. It's worth it if you got a championship to show for it, but it's not worth it if you don't. And the selling high on the quarterback thing, like it's the, the Herschel Walker concept where uh, it means something different today, obviously, than it used to, but – what the Cowboys did trading Herschel Walker is like the foundation of their early 90s dynasty was the players they got from the trade with Minnesota. And I respect that, but the team that I heard or that uh, benefited from that trade was the Cowboys. And I heard some nonsense that I'm sure is nonsense, but apparently the Cowboys would be interested in C.J. Stroud. And moving on from Dak Prescott, that's got to be Jerry just trying to get attention. Because that, if that ain't the dumbest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that lottery ticket game. But, but I'll say this. If I were the Jets and I had to decide, do I give up a package to move up to take C.J. Stroud? Or do I take that same package to get Aaron Rodgers? Oh, yeah. I'd probably go take the youngster. Oh, Really? So that's interesting. Couple things here. One, I'm pretty high. Like I think that Stroud's going to be really good, right? Mm-hmm. I think we've seen rookie quarterbacks, Dak Prescott being an example, mm-hmm. when coming into a situation where they are surrounded by talent and you got a defense on the other side, you can do things in the short term, right, while also playing for the long run. 
in a way where Aaron Rodgers, you're crossing your fingers and hoping that you get something out of year two. Because the thing for the Jets is the Jets are the Aaron Rodgers away. The yeah. Jets are a quarterback away. That's fair. A reasonably competent hey, NFL quarterback. I mean, I'm with you, but let's talk about these playoffs. Fair. Let's talk about these playoffs. Fair. And let's talk about who they're going to have to beat. One, two, maybe all three of these quarterbacks they're going to have to beat in the playoffs. Fair. I like C.J. Stroud. But at some point, and, and defense, as good as your defense is, I'm not sure you can win. And the way the rules have changed, I'm not sure you can win with uh, the way that the Seahawks won. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure that you can do that anymore. I haven't seen it happen in a long time. That 49ers defense we really love, as you and I both discussed, uh, Patrick Mahomes put up 400 on them in a regular <laughs> season. 400. And the Eagles didn't seem to struggle. So it is not, it's not a knock against these, against that defense. It's just, it's really, really hard to play great defense week in and week out and carry your team. Especially, we're going to be asking them to do that against Joe Cool, against Josh Allen, and then against Patrick Mahomes, and then go to the Super Bowl. Okay. Yeah, you know, I had kind of forgotten what conference they play in uh, when I began to make these statements. Yeah. But the question is, what we really getting out of Aaron Rodgers? Because he had, what was right. it, a broken thumb or something like that this yeah. year? Yeah, that'll affect your ability to throw the football. It's kind of crazy they only had 12 interceptions while playing with a broken thumb. Like, let's be clear about that. It got better as the year went on. But, I mean, they lost to the Detroit Lions. Excuse me, my Detroit Lions. That's right. That's right. At home. With the playoffs on the line and the Lions not playing for nothing. Yeah, that was bad. That's bad. Yeah, that was bad. The Lions was playing for pride. <laughs> Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training. Just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That Dan Campbell, like I say, yeah. people... People got to come back around and be honest, man. The dude's yeah. better than we thought that yeah. he would be. And it's because we being a little snobby, elitist, and judgmental. Exactly. 
That was us. I mean, it, it happened with the Eagles too. Uh, oh yeah, um, I can't believe yeah, this. Seriani. I mean, we may not be wrong about that though. We may, <laughs> maybe somebody pushing all the right buttons, but the Dan Campbell thing—it feels like uh, all jokes aside, it seems like they both—you uh, can't let that first impression fool you. Hey, uh, yeah, go ahead. Detroit might be set up to take the make the most interesting draft pick of all the draft picks. Like, if you think Jared Goff is reasonably competent, which he looked like it. Their offense looked really good at the end of the year. Then that means you got a quarterback that you can let start for a year, maybe two, which if you the Lions put you in position to draft the gentleman by the name of Anthony Richardson <laughs> and let that boy figure it out. I see it then, bubbling up too. Exactly what you told me was going to happen. It's starting to happen. What I tell you, what I tell you. <laughs> it's bubbling up. It's bubbling up. These people looking at Anthony and seeing gold. Yep. They like, they, they don't want to say Josh Allen. They don't want to go there, even mm. though the comparison, even though he's actually much better, I think, right now than Josh Allen was when Josh Allen came into the draft. Yeah. That's not to say that he will get to where Josh Allen is. But I do think that he was better. The resume is better. He's like actually physically superior. All of these things. I saw my draft that put him at number one. I was like, dude, I know how to predict this draft stuff like a science dog. It ain't hard to tell what the narrative arc is going to be. What I didn't know or expect, though, was that the film nerds are going to get in there on Richardson and be like, oh, wow. He actually manages the pocket very well and is manipulating people with his eyes. Which did raise the question that how come EK hit the broad side of a barn? And that's what'll make a team say, Oh, I can fix that. Yeah, yeah. They they believe that they can. They can change the technique. And we've seen it happen a couple of times. The most recent time was with the Eagles and yeah. Jalen Hurts. Like they he's addressed his accuracy issues. Um, and they've built something around him. And obviously also Josh Allen. I think the point you made earlier is one that I really like about I don't think you made it this explicitly, but I feel like the difference in quarterbacks becoming good franchise quarterbacks and great quarterbacks to me is not as much on a talented quarterback as much as it's on the situation that they come into. And I think that it takes time for players to develop um, time that they don't normally get because they normally go in bad situations. But if you are in a situation where they can take pressure off you with the running game, they can take pressure off you because they got a receiver who can't help but get open. They can take pressure off you because that defense is going to be uh, create turnovers. Like that's the time you need. And I've said this a bunch of times on this podcast and others. If you look at the best quarterbacks in football, it's not a coincidence. The vast majority of them came into good situations and like, frankly, weren't even all not true of all of them, but they weren't even all that great at the beginning. They just succeeded. And in that time, they can add another thing to their game, add another thing to the game. Then next thing you know, it's time to move on from that rookie deal. And it's a little more pressure on them. And they seem to be able to hold up in a way that even more talented quarterbacks dropped in worse situations can't. Yeah, no, nah, I don't I don't want to get too deep into Richardson right now because i feel like this is gonna come up a lot more but this is very much hashtag listen to me now hashtag <laughs> believe me later on is it, it's coming i had actually forgot about cj stroud in this draft and i don't know exactly how but uh we got bryce young the only question is size mm-hmm. richardson is like the opposite of him right like stroud <laughs> who i mean had two years of looking great I don't know what to make of this Will Levis character, to be perfectly honest. I really don't know. I just don't. I'm just wondering when they're going to put the cover up, the toughest decision in sports or whatever it's going to oh, be gosh. with Will Levis in the middle. 
Oh gosh. Oh, was that Sports Illustrated or that was that? that was Sports Illustrated okay, with Cam Newton, Jake Locker, and what was the other one? Blaine Gabbert. It was the easiest decision the Carolina Panthers ever made. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, can you imagine the laughs they had in that office about the dilemma? Now, what I assume <laughs> happened on that was yeah. they were trying to get themselves like a Cam Newton cover story, and he was like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. And so they then had to reposition with photos that they had in the Getty uh, picture archive. And they're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll turn this into something compelling. And the rest of us were like, nah, like, let me explain to you how cold Cam Newton was coming into that draft. Because we have to remember, there was no prospect like him ever, right? Nope. Particularly coming out of the offense that he came out of, asking yourself, could that person then go run a professional style offense? Which, by the way, messed the game up for all them schools that was running pro style offenses, talking about, I'm going to get you to the NFL. Cam is out here running the Gus Malzahn wing T. And still, like, got to the NFL. But there had been no prospect like him. But my argument for taking him, number one, was simply, well, who else are you going to take, right? Like, look at this draft. You know what that draft turned out to be? One of the greatest of all yep. time. <laughs> Hall yep. of Famer after Hall of Famer. Like, and that's not including, like, Robert Quinn, Mike Pouncey, right? Like, like it was just loaded with players. And above all of them... <laughs> Was that one dude, right? Mm. Now, you could say that Avon Miller, J.J. Watt, you know, the other guys you could name, you could say they're going to be Hall of Famers. Cam Newton's probably not. But that ain't what we're talking about here right now. When that draft came up, it was like, how you walking away from that right there? You do not. Yeah, I mean, you figure it out. It's like, <laughs> it's, there's some players where you're just like, man, you just figure it out. When you watch them play and you're like, I don't know how this exactly how this going to work. But we're going to figure it out. We're going to bring him here. And no matter what we ask him to do, it's going to be better because he there, because he there doing it. And he was that type of player, man. And I I think we always talk about the, the draft and how quarterbacks get overvalued. And it's easy for you to project the Richardson thing because you know what's going to happen because it happens every year. Except for last year. <laughs> last year, all the first year where GM's like, nah. We we not we not gonna fall in this trap trick ourselves and and um what do you call it Pitts the Steelers uh damn who they get Kenny Pickett yeah Kenny Pickett actually turned out like for where he was drafted I think to produce pretty good results and be somewhat promising so he fell to the right spot but man y'all was talking about Malik was gonna be a day one guy Malik was sitting on that board for. A mighty long time, and still, when he got a chance, when they got around to needing him to play in Tennessee, they went and got my man, rocket scientist, to come and, <laughs> <laughs> and take his spot. Man, Doves, that was that was, last year's quarterback draft was a tough one, and wow. I, I guess it probably wasn't worse than in previous drafts. It's just they didn't get overhyped like a lot of players do. Well, the thing with Malik Willis was that boy just didn't need to be playing, right? And that's the thing I look at with Anthony Richardson. When Anthony Richardson come in uh, with whatever team, and they're like, you know, what number do you want? They're not going to be like, what number do you want? It don't matter what number you want. We're not even <laughs> issuing you a uniform. Like, you're just going to be, be over here working on mechanics. That is the only thing. we. Because I have seen no evidence to indicate that it's better for the quarterback to play as a rookie. Nothing, there's there's nothing to demonstrate that it's better or worse in a lot of right. cases. But for some dudes like Willis, 
Willis just didn't need to be playing football. And we knew it. Like, you knew it when he was coming out there that they just didn't need to have him play it. After um, my rookie year in Denver, I went to the Boys and Girls Club a bunch. and was, like, hanging out with the kids there, doing whatever, volunteering stuff. And I remember one of the kids asked me, why did I choose the number 22? Like, boy, you don't understand. <laughs> I guess he wanted me to have some cute story about how two plus two equal this. And I, I used this. My high school number was four. Well, I don't know, my, my great-granddaddy had told me, like, no, I didn't choose 22. 22 chose me. But y'all got left. Yeah, that was it. And um, actually, surprisingly, I, I told you this before, there, there were um, we didn't have a first-round pick that year, and there were three corners taken because they were struggling with Peyton Manning. So they drafted Darren Williams, Carl Pema, and then me. I wasn't. I was the third corner taken in my draft. So <laughs> praise Jesus that for whatever reason, Carl won at number 41. Cause like, that's what it did. We went down the list and like whoever gets drafted first, you pick the numbers and the numbers that are left. And there are so many numbers taken up because the roster is bigger. We haven't gone through training camp. So you might get a chance to change again at the end of training camp when other people get released, but whatever. So D will came in and champ was already there. He had 24. Uh, somebody had 21 already. And Darren took 27, which is a cold-ass number. And all that was left in the 20s was 22. I wasn't going to the 30s or 40s. What, I look like a safety? That's what I'm about to say. Those are slow numbers. (laughs) Only people that want numbers in the 40s are linebackers. Yep. defensive ends. Carl got that 41 and left 22 for me. I appreciate that, Carl. Yeah, no, I say I guess there's some people you could pull, you know, you could get in there and have an option. Otherwise, it's like, yo, Mm. this is what we got left. (laughs) Exactly. I was not going into them high numbers. I I was a slim fella. I look like it was with a three on it. No, thank you. 40s? That's a fullback number. That's Mike Allstott in them. (laughs) I'm good on that. Ronnie Lott, 42. Uh Uh-uh. I, and it, it was wild as Ronnie Lott. First of all, it's wild that Ronnie he Lott was, was playing corner, yeah. corner right? Yeah. But also playing corner at 42 was Ronnie Lott telling you what time it is. <laughs> right? It's about <laughs> to be a long day. Yeah, that's, that's the boy number 42 is like wearing Tim's. It's like, you, like, I'm here for the work, boy. I'm here for the work. There's a black Air Force Ones of uh, pro football. <laughs> Let me tell you about Ronnie Lott. I did um, a panel once at Santa Clara University. It was on uh, college athletics, paying players kind of stuff. Um, I don't remember if Sonny Vaccaro invited me, but Sonny was there. That's my guy. Like, I, I joke about them making this uh, Jordan movie about the white people and not about Jordan. But if you are going to make a movie about a white person, I do appreciate it being Sonny. Sonny's my man. And I forget I said something about athletics one of the things i just came up with off the top of my head but was able to wrap it up at the end with something snappy and i remember Sonny was on the front row so delighted right because he's like for real about this cause and i met roddy lot after roddy lot just shook his head blown away by whatever i had said and that's one of the highlights of my life is that roddy oh. I, I rendered roddy lot speechless <laughs> that's pretty dope roddy yeah. lot did did you i feel like the one time i met roddy lot the first thing i do is look at his hands and try i avoided not to be, it i avoided not to be it. awkward about it yeah <laughs> he's used to I, it he, yeah, he caught me looking, I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. But yeah, Sonny, I like Sonny. I, I, I helped produce a movie a while ago, a documentary on Penn athletes, and Sonny was hugely helpful in that stuff. But yeah, he's always been hey. invested. I don't know him like like that. He's not my man, but I respect him. And if they, you're right, if they're going to make a movie about white people in <laughs> Michael Jordan, Sonny yeah. is a guy. Make who it the homie. It. 
Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. By the way, I don't know if you have ever looked at some of the rosters of those USC teams when Ronnie Lott was there. Mm, mm, mm. Good, like We talk about Miami, right? Because USC, when you think about it, was the first university in Miami in the sense that it was this city school that had kind of this population boom. And as the game was desegregating, like that's what really happened. There was Schellenberger went into Miami and was like, yo, how about we start recruiting all these black people that live around yeah. here? They look fast to me. <laughs> all right. You know, it's in, then, okay, boom, you know, you, you, you get into your action that way. USC got the fruits of the great migration. Yeah. So, that's- We've it, talked about sorry, sorry, but I, I mean, whenever I think about this, I think about the like the Oakland stories that you tell. But anyway, yeah. USC. Yeah, but there's an argument. Like one of the the great migration arguments that people make is you have to evaluate this through the lens of a certain selection bias, which is right. do you realize what a go getter you got to be to make the decision to get all your stuff and go all the way across, right? Like the Beverly Hillbillies, at least it got oil first. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? These black people just got their stuff and they just went right. And so where else they going to go? Ain't nothing close to L.A. So like all these L.A. dudes going to play in L.A., right? Listen to who was on the team. And I understand that some of you youngsters may not recognize some of the names here that I'm going to throw out there. They had Marcus Allen. Oh, Hobie Brenner. I remember him. He was a pro tight end. Like I'm on the wiki page and everybody got a link on it. Anthony Munoz. Keith Van Horn, who started for the 85 Bears. Charles White, who won a Heisman Trophy. Chip Banks, this is the 1978 team. He was in the league to the 90s. That's all I'm trying to say. The boy must have been good. Dennis Smith, <laughs> the dude that played next to Steve Atwater. Um, this is just one of those and like a partial listing of the team. I didn't even get to when Marcus Allen shows up. Jeez. And Marcus Allen was supposed to play defensive back, but they had <laughs> Dennis Smith and Joey Browner and Ronnie Lott. And so they told Marcus Allen, hey, how'd you like to play running back? You think uh, you might enjoy that? <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is, these names, like, you just go to another year and it's like, oh, somebody, Don Mosbar, he started for, like, 15, Bruce Matthews, he showed up the next year. Right, it was the white, it was the white boys, too. Like, that's the thing. That's, that is incredible. I was, you brought up Miami because that's the other example. I guess you could put Ohio State recent runs Mm -hmm. in there for, like, crazy talent, but I don't know, I'm perusing the internet yesterday and I stumbled across this little thing about about Sean Taylor and about how special a player he was and Clinton Portis is being interviewed and Clinton Portis said he was upset because he saw Sean Taylor's highlight film before he got there and he said he was like the best running back he had seen and then he went to like fuss at the coaches and the coach is like oh don't worry he playing safety and Clinton (laughs) was like he ain't really believe him like no I see I seen him he not playing safety I saw what he was doing against real high school talent came out there and then they had Ed on there talking about how he was like borderline saying he the best safety he ever seen to get Ed to say that. And Ed's like a 
like an Emlyn Tunnell, like he know all the all mm-hmm. the safeties. Like he's you know he's an old old fashioned type of dude. Yeah. He's not trying to get no young boys no credit, but he was like, I don't know. I didn't. I guess obviously we were robbed of whatever career um, we were gonna see from Sean Taylor, but I had no idea how good he was. And then he was on a roster with guys like Ed Dominic. Why would you put Sean Taylor at running back when your running backs are Clinton yeah. Portis, Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, and yes. Najee Davenport? Lord have right? mercy. Like, why would you do that? Like, okay. Najee the worst one. <laughs> Najee the worst one. That's crazy. Dumb. That is madness. The team played four true freshmen. That O1 Miami team. They put four true freshmen out there. I'm going to try to get them all off the top of my head. But I'm going to – oh, Kellen Winslow – Sean Taylor, Vince Wilfork, and I believe Frank Gore was the other one. I want to know where Vince Wilfork was playing high school football. By Eddie. And I, I want to know what the opposing parents was thinking and coaches. <laughs> because I remember him as a freshman. He wasn't what he became, but he, he, he was close. So you imagine him as a senior? In high school, the idea that you could walk on and be the damn nose tackle for a national championship caliber team in college on day one. What was he doing to these kids? And the thing about high school is like, yeah, you might be in a tough high school division. Yeah, a lot of the teams you might play might have some good players and be serious about it. But three, four of them teams, they school is about (laughs) academics. And them dudes just trying to get a letter. It's, three, four of those teams had a center who weighed two ten, and Vince and they, it was like Vince Wilfork. That's your job. No, for who, for what? This is, this is. I mean, I'm all for youth athletics, but there has to be a line. There's a line. I would not put my son out there. I'm telling you. I'm like, nah. He's three hundred pounds in athletic, and you want me to put my my child? No, nah, nah, I'm good, dude. You make such a great point because the greatest variance with like. A high school offensive line can have a legitimate, like, 125-pound variance from each side on. Like, I remember our high school line, we had two 300-pound tackles because Texas, right? Our center, who was a first-team all-district center, was 175, Uh right? The guys that were next to him were – one of them was, like, in the low two – like, 220, somewhere right there. The other one, like, 195. But that's, mm. those are reasonable, at least for 25 years ago, those are reasonable sizes yeah. for an offensive lineman to be. And then on the other side, you get one of those. Like, I think I told you, it, you, were, you were out of high school by this time. But when I moved to California in 01, Long Beach Poly was the mm. squad, right? And they had yeah. the Poly Five. They had five dudes that were like top 100 recruits on this one team and I watched them play against a regular high school and no. that was that was not fair no. but they had to do Manny Wright in the middle and he was as big then as he was when he was at USC and I just really had no concept as to what it was you supposed to do when you were the high school def- uh, offensive coordinator and you put that reel on to watch that film and you look at and you see Manny Wright just holding up like, the middle if you are one of those high school coaches who's at a high school where like it's what we envision high school coaching to be, where it's like you a gym teacher and you doing this on the side and you want the kids to have fun and you want to win, but you're not like one of these prep for pro high school coaches. 
and you see that, how do you in good conscience walk out there and be like, <laughs> yeah, do your best? <laughs> like, I don't understand how you do that. They think um, y'all some punks. Yeah. Are y'all okay. some punks? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 coach. I got a future <laughs> and it ain't in this. And I would like my future to be bright by not getting my head torn off. So like my um the school my kids go to now is they're they're young. Obviously. My oldest is 12, but they have really good basketball teams, like nationally ranked men's and women's basketball teams. And they have to like occasion like there's some good teams around here also, but like they have to fly in talent sometimes or travel to talent. Like we'll go watch them play against these really good teams and they'll beat the really good teams, but it looks like fair matchups. So can you imagine like last year, they were number one and the women's team was number one in the country. I think they're number two in the country this year. And they are playing in like the local private school network. Can you imagine them playing with three, four, maybe five girls who are going to play division one basketball. And then they go up against just a regular old private school. And it's like, it's girls who are tall, but not good. You know, that's what it is. Like, oh, you happen to be 6'1". You're the center. Our center's like 6'5 and got handles. It's outrageous. I'm watching that. Did you translate that to football? My high school football team, we didn't have, we had two 300-pound guys and they were like, no disrespect, they were what you imagine a 300-pound high schooler to be. Mm-hmm. It was like, they weren't good. They didn't play. They didn't start on offense. They didn't start on defense. The guys who played were like 220, 230. I was like 145, 150. We were not a big football team. And we had it like div- divisions by like uh size of school. So we didn't play against a bunch of teams like that, but we would do the jamboree every year, which is like just all come and scrimmage each other. And we had to play against my home school that I didn't go to, Randallstown, which is a big school. And them boys was tearing our asses up. I gave them, I gave them that business though, but they was Nobody was getting blocked, and I couldn't say nothing about it. It's like, let's just get to the end of this scrimmage alive. Have you seen that picture of Jonathan Ogden in high school? Yeah, next to Charlie Kravitz. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, Jonathan Ogden, um, all-time great left tackle, one of the giantest men in the world, and one of the greatest yeah. mental pictures I've ever drawn when that dude, Josh Lux, the agent who decided to go rogue and tell everything, Told the story about taking Jonathan Ogden to a Janet Jackson concert. His big ass was front row, shrieking. Um, Janet Jackson concert is the most fascinating collection of humanity. Like, it's, it's so much going on, but neither here nor there. But anyway, he went to St. Albans, right? It is yep. a very fancy prep school. It's for boys, 4th through 12th grade, but it has 590 students. Okay? Yep. Like, that just gives you an idea of what it is. And, like, my man Jamal, uh, he went there. I went there and did a talk for i forget what i was doing down there with them but you know that's where i went it is a very small school i'm looking at their list of prestigious alumni and i ain't come across a ball player yet oh neil bush son of george hw bush right like that's whose kids go there can't hoop (laughs) jonathan ogden has been as big as jonathan ogden is forever oh, al gore went there just to, just letting you guys understand who goes to this school and there's just this picture of jonathan ogden in the open field on some variety of running play looking for a kid to hit and i can't believe nobody called the cops there's let, no let way me, in the world he should have been allowed to play out there with those children let me explain something to you jonathan ogden is big for offensive linemen so like i have to remember that there's lots of people who listen to this who aren't our age jonathan ogden is six nine <laughs> like, Jonathan Ogden is 6'9 he makes other offensive line look small 
345 in athletic and athletic as hell coordinated and he's just as athletic as the 200 pound kids that are trying to get past him but he happens to be twice their damn size <laughs> he was a problem st albans is um what two miles from from my house so like i see what's going on there occasionally and we were like go um i the the coach the football coach at my kids school like they play in this whatever so like i talked to him a little bit go see them play and i've seen these teams play and they're like regular high school team imagine taking an nfl offensive lineman and dropping him on the field because that's what they did with jonathan (laughs) and i'm not sure who how many high if the ambulance if they had to have two (laughs) at his games but i think it'd be fair but he's a very like I don't know. He's not like the the wild man that you would think. No, no, no. Um, he's, one of the, he's one of the gentle giant dudes. Thank praise Jesus. Thank <laughs> you that he is, because otherwise. Let, let, let me explain to you guys how good Jonathan Ogden is. The Ravens had two first round picks mm-hmm. in 1996. <laughs> and Ray Lewis might have been the second best one. Yep. And that is not to undersell Ray Lewis. That is just so that you understand they took two no-brainer Hall of Famers in the first first round they had in town. That was that was Ozzy's first draft as a true general manager. <laughs> when they moved down, I don't think he even had the title yet. But like when they moved from uh from Cleveland. Uh, Ozzy like took control of the roster. His first draft, he went with Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden, like legitimate all time greats. Yes. Like if you want to have a conversation about the best people at their position, nobody would laugh at you if you said Jonathan Ogden, and obviously no one would laugh at you if you said Ray Lewis. Like you could argue <laughs> it, but like nobody, you know, nobody's gonna be like, oh no, that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? Like two, my God, UCLA and Miami. Dog. That's like Tampa Bay took Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks in the same first round. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Dude, Derek mm, Brooks is mm. one of those that we gonna have to be like, hey guys, don't 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 forget, don't yeah. don't don't don't. No, at no, every no, level, both of them. Warren Sapp too. Yeah, that's true. Warren Sapp too, because like Warren Sapp was like like a precursor to Aaron Donald type player, like kind of undersized, crazy athletic, don't look like, and just cause havoc from the inside and it was back in the day when they actually ran the ball and he caused havoc if they threw the ball nearly as much then as they do now he might have had as many sacks but he just caused havoc on the inside and Derek Brooks was a maniac (laughs) with hands too just athletic just special yo we out here talking about uh these collections of talent and we did not stop and speak on the run at Florida State Mm, mm, mm. Florida State, like, they just figured out, if y'all don't want to recruit these black people, I (laughs) guess we'll just have to get, oh, Georgia, you guys don't really want to win, it appears. Uh, I guess we'll just have to take them all. And you just look at those teams. Uh, My buddy Adam Gold does the radio in Raleigh, always made the point when Mickey Andrews, the defensive coordinator at Florida State, he started falling apart. And he was like, yeah, because all he ever had to do was rush four and drop seven. He never had to think about anything else in the world other than look at these dudes that I have on this team. When I was in college, Florida State was still at the top. We beat them once in my senior year. 
they were still the best team and one of the best teams in the country, definitely the best team in the, in the ACC. Game planning for them was not a thing you needed to do because they didn't game plan. <laughs> they got in the I formation, ran dive, counter, toss, or I formation, they ran double outs, double skinny posts, double goes with a post from the tight end. That was the entire playbook. That was it. <laughs> they were just like, you know what? We're so much better than you at every position. We will do what we do. And it didn't matter. We couldn't beat them. That's how good, that's how talented they were. That Bobby Bowden, you cannot convince me that he know anything about football. Like, <laughs> I, I never saw it. Like Maybe he does, but I never saw him scheme once. Maybe somebody else was doing something, or maybe he had some great schemes in the pocket, but he never brought them out. Go back and look at that stuff. They just got in the eye. They ain't even put three receivers on the field. They just got in the damn eye formation. And I remember our offense be out here running option we run all types of quirky stuff to try to get some points and say i didn't study the defense as much but it seemed like they was doing the same thing over there they probably had two blitzes in but rest of it was line up and play man who gonna beat you how loaded do you have to be to look at peter warwick and randy moss and say boys you'll be red shirting now of course (laughs) there was a different circumstance with randy moss in that one but to ever be able to look at peter warwick and say your services aren't needed this uh, year. That's, that's and, for, and for you youngsters, look Peter Warwick up on YouTube. That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's one of the worst things about our, our just like the, the way we're inundated with new media is like the old stuff gets pushed out. But uh, Peter, like, I, I know you know this, but Peter became a verb. Yes. Because <laughs> that boy was so nasty. We used to say it outside on the playground. I got them Peters. Because he was breaking people off Barry Sanders style. And Florida State hit him and Randy Moss. Just their red shirting in 1995. Can you imagine what would have happened if they had put freshman Randy Moss out there? Because Cannell even talks about, like, yo, we went to Bobby like, yo, come on. <laughs> what 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 are we talking about here, man? Do you see what is going on here? Which would have meant that that 95 Fiesta Bowl that Florida got smoked in would have been the greatest college football team I've ever seen against one with Randy Moss on it. <laughs> that talent, man. That's that's the one thing about um the the race racist collusion is it only works if y'all all do it. Yes. As soon as one team was like, all right, we're done with this. We're okay with having a bunch of black players on our team. Then the rest of y'all better get in line or <laughs> your team won't have. I mean, you're just limiting your talent pool right. dramatically. It's just like, no, nah, we don't want to be. It's the same thing happened with quarterbacks. It's just starting to, the tide has just started to turn for that recently. Well, that that's what happened when the SEC finally took over. They were like, fine, we'll just take the yeah. best players from our region. Yeah. Exactly. I guess we'll just go ahead and do that. Like how crazy it is that from like the 70s and 80s, the only SEC teams to win national championships were Alabama in that one year with Herschel. Mm-hmm. That was it. They were just like, no, nah, we ain't really trying to win. We're, and so the players were going, I mean, I don't remember. I wasn't following recruiting back then, obviously. Um, but they was going I assume they were still... Lilla everywhere, right? Like, you had the schools up north that had, like, their pipelines to go there. You also had more guys going to black colleges. Um, 
But, I mean, it was just very clear that teams were putting caps on onto, like, how many of these guys they would take. Right. And then you'd wind up with certain guys who had been, like, forerunners of integration who wound up places and then be like, okay, we'll get them. But then there was always the schools that was like, yo, we got to do what we got to do. So Hayden Fry, who eventually wound up at Iowa, when he left um, and went to SMU, it was under the promise that he would be able to recruit black players. And so he started recruiting black players in the early 60s. The University of Houston, that has always been like, what we got to do, dog. Okay, that's like black Black Houston cares about U of H in a much different way because in football and basketball, there would always be somebody that was willing to do it. The ones that had the hard times were the ones that had University of blank in their names. Because mm-hmm. then that, that stopped being about the school and started being about, like, the state. But gradually, they just had to look around and be like, so we try to be good or not. And also, it took them, like, a long time to get brothers to be like, yeah, we'll do it. Like, LSU, yeah. it wasn't until the 21st yeah. century that black folks yeah. were really like, yeah, okay, I, I'll, I'll try. You don't want to be associated with that. And I see that. Um, and I guess it's, it's slightly different because it makes me think about the Olympics. Or not the Olympics, but um, the World Cup. We just finished watching that where it's like, you couldn't tell me France ain't a majority black nation. Right. Well, but well, they, it's not about their talent there as much as it's about them going to, yes. to steal talent. from. Right. But your alma mater is one of the more interesting ones on this in that they never get in-state talent. They've never been able, and it's the only argument is people still mad. Yeah, people still I mean, not letting it go. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of what I I mean I haven't studied this obviously, but a lot of what I see is like there are people who have the pipelines, and that's where the players end up going, mm-hmm. where the coaches who have the relationships end up, and so like Mike Loxley, who's our head coach now, you would notice people be surprised like wow all these good dc players maryland players going out to illinois this don't make no sense oh, oh yeah now they're like, going to I'll, alabama I'll, 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 oh now they're going to <laughs> alabama okay so now they some of them starting to stay home we actually do a really probably recruit above our heads as far as our records concerned and hopefully that'll all pan out pretty soon but yeah. like they're starting to keep more players here but it's also like the prestige when you're a top player maryland's not you know like you yeah. want to be able to say Oh yeah, I'm going to XYZ school. Maryland ain't that school yet. Yeah. Maybe it'll never be. But it is the great underachiever. You can make an argument, oh especially when you consider Basketball? the population. Yeah, the population demographics of the state of Maryland. Hmm. Like, you don't think of Maryland as a southern state. We just don't think about it yeah, that way. But it right. bears every other characteristic, including the whole slave thing. And exactly. they just never think brothers are just like, nah, like it took forever for brothers to go there to play basketball. Like they still don't like if you uh, if you go back to all the guys from the state of Maryland and if you you don't even have to lump in D.C. or um, like northern Virginia, although this all like really close, like the, the close school for all those those um, areas is University of Maryland, like the close major school. You lump all that in and look at the NFL and look at the NBA, your mind would be blown at the amount of talent if we could keep a percentage of that regularly, like our school would be great. But can't for whatever reason probably because well daryl hill was the i think he was the first black player in the acc which was university of maryland but Mm -hmm. the acc is a southern conference as we have discussed all i'm saying is this 
We knew y'all wasn't bited bited about football. Y'all named the stadium after the man that ran Bear Bryant out of town. That's how we know y'all. <laughs> that's that's how we know y'all wasn't bited. <laughs> we did have Bear Bryant as the coach at one point. It was like, nah, we good. And they ran let's about. Thing to, yeah, let's get that thing to bird. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, but that is Dominique Fosworth. Check him out on Debatable. Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. And of course, check him out on the Dominique Fosworth Show three times a week. Get that wherever you get your podcast, my man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, bro. All right, now, and ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. Remember, hit the voicemail line, 860-516-4119. Tell us about the worst you ever saw somebody get dunked on. Bonus points if you were the one getting dunked on, 860-516-4119. Parker Owens and Adi Khan handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater, and we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.